How's it going, everybody? Welcome to another episode of English Encore. I'm your host, Nick English. Thank you guys for tuning in once again. Today, we're going to be talking about the takeaways from the Bills' first preseason game against the Colts. We're going to preview some big four hoops. We're going to be talking about Canisius and their upcoming season. We'll be talking about the Buffalo Sabres and their overall point projection, as well as some of the players' and goalies' point projections and win totals overall for this year. And then finally, we're going to be talking about Jack Eichel and whether or not he's a good captain for the Buffalo Sabres. So we're going to be starting off talking about the Buffalo Bills, who are coming off a 24-16 win in their first preseason game versus Indianapolis Colts. Go over some of the good, bad, and then my 53-man roster projection after the first game. So some of the big things I took away from that game was I thought Josh Allen was really impressive. Um, it was very clear that he has a bigger uh, grasp of the offense overall. He's making a lot quicker reads. You could tell he was seeing things a lot better. He changed the plays multiple times at the line of scrimmage to a play he thought would work better. One in particular was on second down when he had a nice 10-yard out to John Brown. Um, the defense overall was just amazing all game. They, the Colts couldn't get anything going. I know T.Y. Hilton, Eric Ebron, and Andrew Luck didn't play, but it was still very nice to see the defense was just as good as last year. I thought Tremaine Edmonds looked really good, as well as Jordan Poyer. Ed Oliver had a few nice plays. Um, Shaq Lawson really surprised me. He was blowing up the Colts' offensive line numerous times in the first quarter, even though he only played the first few drives. But his impact was definitely felt. Um, the Bills didn't pick up that option for next year. So he's definitely in a situation where he's trying to impress to get a big payday as he's going to be a free agent after this season. So I thought he was really good. And then you can't not talk about Christian Wade, um, the former rugby player coming over, played for the Buffalo Bills in the NFL, gets first carry, gets a 65-yard touchdown. Just an incredible story. It's just awesome to see. The guys on the sideline really getting amped up for him. The crowd was going crazy. And just a nice story for the NFL as a whole. It's hard not to mention him when you're talking about this game. And I know it's only preseason. He's a very much a long shot to make the roster. But it's still cool to see a guy like that who's never played football in his life do that on his only carry of the game. So definitely keep watching him throughout the course of the preseason. Um, some bad takeaways. Um, I thought Robert Foster really struggled. In the first game, um, you know, he's been dropping a lot of balls in training camp. He had a huge year last year, undrafted rookie from Alabama. He really came on strong at the end of last season. A lot of talk this offseason about how maybe he could eventually become a number one wide receiver, but now he's kind of shadowed down into that third, fourth wide receiver role, even behind Zay Jones. Um, he had a couple drops yesterday, had a miscommunication multiple times. When Matt Barkley was in, um, he did have one really good catch um, over the middle when Barkley was in, and then he did drop the one ball, although it was a very hard ball to catch from Tyree Jackson down the field. Um, TJ Yeldon, um, I thought he pretty much is getting himself cut from the roster, fumbling the ball, not really making the most of his carries, 
And then right after he fumbles and snores, Perry comes in, has a couple of nice runs, and scores a touchdown. So um, I think he's kind of falling down the depth chart, and I could definitely see him getting cut. The turnovers were something Sean McDermott stressed. Um, as I just mentioned, Yeldon fumbled the ball, and then there was a miscommunication with a snap that went over Barkley's head, so they lost that. So definitely have to clean up the turnovers. And then they had some injuries on the offensive line. Um, Feliciano and McDermott both got banged up a little bit. McDermott's going through the concussion protocol. And then obviously last week they lost Ladrian Waddle for the season. And he was one of their free agent pickups from New England Patriots. So definitely going to be interesting to see throughout the course of preseason if they can keep an offensive line healthy and see who the five starters are going to be for Josh Allen. They're still waiting for Mitch Morse to come back from that concussion protocol. But obviously they're going to take their time with him. Not trying to rush him back because he's going to be a huge part on whether Josh Allen's going to be successful this year. So now we're going to get into the 53-man roster projection that I made up after this first week. Currently, I have the Bills carrying two quarterbacks on the roster with Josh Allen and Matt Barkley. Um, Tyree Jackson could be a third quarterback added, but right now I think he's going to be a practice squad guy um, that might be added depending on injuries, but... I just don't see the Bills carrying three quarterbacks. I think it's good to have another quarterback like Tyree down on a practice squad, but I don't think they're going to have him on the active roster. I have the Bills keeping four running backs, um, LaShawn McCoy, Frank Gore, Devin Singletary, and then Patrick DeMarco. Um, Sonoris Perry, right now I have him as kind of a bubble-slash-practice squad player. We'll see how he does throughout the rest of the preseason and see if he can earn a roster spot. There was a lot of talk whether they would just get rid of DeMarco as a whole and not really use a fullback because they did sign Lee Smith and he can kind of slip into that fullback role at times or you just add him as the extra tight end on the end. But um, after week one performance with TJ Yeldon fumbling the ball, um, obviously Wade, as I just mentioned, being a long shot. Um, and then we haven't seen enough yet of Sonora's Perry despite a decent first game to really make that call. So I have those four being on the Bills roster. Then we get into wide receivers. I have the Bills keeping six wide receivers. Cole Beasley, John Brown, Zay Jones, Robert Foster, Andre Roberts, and Isaiah McKenzie. I have Isaiah McKenzie holding on to the final spot. Um, I think Cam Phillips is right there with him. I thought Isaiah McKenzie had a better first game. He had two big catches, and Cam Phillips had the one touchdown. I just think Isaiah McKenzie has the edge solely because he can play special teams too good returner for us last year and just the way Brian Dable runs the offense he runs a lot of those trick reverses jet sweeps stuff like that and I think McKenzie fills that role however I wouldn't be surprised if they did lean towards a guy like Cam Phillips just because they did sign Andre Roberts in the offseason from the Jets and he's going to probably be their primary return man this year and special teams guy so I wouldn't be surprised if they went towards um, Cam Phillips at the end of the day after the four preseason games if it's a close battle but right now I think Isaiah McKenzie's got the final roster spot for the wide receivers for the offensive line I have the Bills carrying 10 guys for the first opening day 53 man roster um, the biggest reason I have that is just because of all the injuries we've had at training camp and then Mitch Morse obviously is the biggest question mark just because of concussion protocol. But I have them carrying Quentin Spain, Mitch Morse, John Feliciano, Cody Ford, Wyatt Teller, Ty Secchi, Spencer Long, Ike Bodiger, Connor McDermott, and Deion Dawkins. 
Um, the biggest reason that I think Spencer Long is going to make the roster, and same as McDermott, is because they can play multiple positions, whether it's um, center or both tackle spots. Um, Cody Ford, we draft him in the second round, so he's not going to be going anywhere. And most of the other guys are veterans or free agents they bought in um, in the offseason. So I have the Bills carrying 10 offensive linemen. Right now I have the Bills taking three tight ends, Tyler Croft, Lee Smith, and Dawson Knox. Dawson Knox was a player they drafted this year. Lee Smith was a guy they brought back um, after he was with the Oakland Raiders. He's more of a pass-blocking specialist. He's not going to be one that's really going to catch a lot of balls. I'd be surprised if he catches more than 10 passes this year. Then Tyler Croft was brought in to be the number one tight end. He's currently not playing as he was on IR because he broke his foot. So we'll see if he'll be ready for opening day, but I think he will be. Um, If not, I would expect them to probably carry in Jason Kroom. And then once Croft is healthy enough, I think Kroom would be the guy that's left off. Um, Looking at the defensive side of the ball, I have them taking two free safeties with Micah Hyde and Kurt Coleman both veterans and have been relatively healthy throughout the course of their career. So I think they're just going to stick with two there. The strong safety spot, I'm going to have them carrying three with Jordan Poyer, Dean Marlowe, and Jaquan Johnson. Um, I thought Jaquan Johnson made his presence fell in the first preseason game against Colts. He was all over the field making tons of plays. Um, Dean Marlowe is another guy who's been on the Bills team before. I think he's really stepped up his game over the past year. And then obviously Jordan Poyer has always been solid. I, th- I personally think that Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer are easily a top three safety pair in the NFL. Um, cornerback is the second toughest decision as far as the 53-man roster goes along with the wide receiver. Right now I have the Bills carrying six onto the roster. Levi Wallace, Trey White, Kevin Johnson, Taron Johnson, uh, Siren Neal, and then the final spot is actually a guy who the Bills picked up just yesterday in Captain Munderland. Originally, I had EJ Gaines in that final spot, but he's headed to IR. So I think Captain Munderland, another Sean McDermott, Brandon Bean guy from Carolina, is going to really come in and mentor some of the younger guys. Um, and I think he'll actually make the roster. Um, Lafayette Pitts as the other guy who's right on the bubble, but right now I don't have him making the roster. He'll probably be a practice squad, or he might make it depending on what they want to do with Neal or Munderland. Um, Pitts had a really good first game against the Colts as well. He's also a good special teams guy, so if he can keep contributing on that end throughout the course of the preseason, he could very well make this roster. Then with the linebackers, I have them carrying six as well. With Matt Milano, Lorenzo Alexander, Tremaine Edmonds, Corey Thompson, Julian Stanford, and Maurice Alexander. Alexander's a guy they picked up from the Seahawks in the offseason. Um, Corey Thompson has been raved about throughout all of training camp by Leslie Frazier as a guy that's really coming into his own. Stanford played some snaps last year when Milano went down. And then Lorenzo's still going to be that starter for now, but Thompson could potentially fill in and get more steps as the season goes on as this could be Alexander's last year and I think Tremaine Edmonds is going to make a huge jump this year overall so I think they're going to carry six as far as the defensive line goes I have them carrying eight with Trent Murphy at Oliver Shaq Lawson Jordan Phillips Harrison Phillips Mike Love Starla Tule and Jerry Hughes 
Um, Mike Love's the only really question mark. Um, I've heard a lot of good things about him in the preseason. I thought he did some good things against the Colts. And I think overall it's good to have that defensive line depth, especially after losing Kyle Williams. I think the more defensive line depth you can have, it, the better it is. And then special teams wide, Reed Ferguson and Steven Hauschkar are both locks. And then the punting battle between both Corys is going to be interesting, but I think Corey Bohorquez is going to be the one that comes away with it. He was doing really good last year until he got hurt, so I think he'll be the one to um, take that final spot for the punting situation. And as far as the bubble goes, I mentioned a few of these guys before, but Tyree Jackson, Sonoris Perry, EJ Gaines, Lafayette Pitts, Dion Lacey, Eddie Arborough, Tommy Sweeney, and Cam Phillips are the guys I think that are most on the bubble for the roster or practice squad guys. So we'll see what they look like throughout the course of the rest of the preseason. But that's my first look at the 53-man roster projection. So now we're going to be getting into some big four hoops. Um, we'll be taking a preview over the next uh, few episodes of Canisius, Niagara, University of Buffalo, and St. Bonaventure. So today we're going to be starting with Canisius. Last year, they were 15-17 and 17 overall. They went 11-7 and 7 in the Metro Atlantic Athletic Conference, also known as the MAC. They were the number two seed in the MAC tournament before they lost in the semifinals to Monmouth. Um, their key losses this offseason were to Carl Molson, Isaiah Reese, Jonathan Sanks, Jabril Faulkner, and Markel Lotz. They added Akram Ahmed, Corey Brown, Jocko Fritz, Armin Harried, and Majesty Brandon. So looking at last year, um, I thought Canisius actually ended up overachieving by the end of the season just because of all the drama throughout the course of the season. Um, they had Isaiah Reese on the team who was picked as the MAC preseason player of the year. Um, after about 20 games, he was suspended for the rest of the season by the team after an altercation between him and head coach Reddy Witherspoon during the Niagara game on the road. Um, it wasn't really said um, what happened, but from what I heard, it wasn't the best of conversations that happened. Um, Reese then, after the season was over, declared for the NBA draft. He was not selected, but he did play for the Houston Rockets summer league team. Call Mosin decided to transfer. He is now going to be playing at Seton Hall. He will sit this season before playing the next two. Um, he was a first-team All-Max selection. His second year with the team averaged 17 points. He was also the MAC Rookie of the Year last year. They lost both Jonathan Sanks and Jabril Faulkner, two big guys off the bench. Faulkner was primarily the sixth man, while Sanks filled in to Isaiah Reese's spot in the starting lineup once he was suspended. And then Markel Lotz was a guy that kind of suffered with injuries all year, but by the end of the season was kind of a four- to six-minute guy off the bench but can contribute some nice minutes. Um, I don't really have high expectations for Kanisha's season. They haven't released their entire schedule this year, but they have some tough non-conference games against Albany, Bucknell, St. Bonaventure, UB, Florida Atlantic, Holy Cross, and Pittsburgh. Um, to be completely honest, I'm not a huge fan of Reggie Witherspoon, the offense he runs. I think he's been the benefit a little bit of former coach Jim Barron, to be quite honest. And to me personally, if Canisius doesn't finish in the top four in the conference 
or they don't make a run to at least the semifinals or MAC title game this year. Personally, I would move on from Witherspoon. Um, you can just tell that he has a tough time getting their star players to stay. Um, in the past, he already lost Cassius Robertson in his first year after he took over for Barron, who uh, suddenly retired. Robertson transferred after his um, final season at Canisius to Missouri, where he ended up being an all-SEC first-team player. Um, Jermaine Crumpton was a player of the year for Witherspoon in his second year. However, Crumpton and Malik Johnson were both guys that Jim Barron recruited. So Witherspoon really disinherited a really good team along with guys like Phil Valenti and Josiah Heath and guys of that nature. And then you lose to Carl Molson, arguably the best player in the conference left after Cam Young graduated this year from Quinnipiac. Molson probably was going to be the preseason player of the year and averaged 17 for the team last year. And I could seen him averaging close to 20 to 22 this year um, and now he's going to a bigger and better program and is really trying to give himself a shot to play in the NBA in the future um, Isaiah Reese preseason player of the year and you know he gets into it with Witherspoon because he doesn't agree with coaching philosophy or whatever it was and I just think it's a little odd that Witherspoon hasn't been able to keep all these good players around at Canisius in their either leaving and going on to play um, professionally in Europe or they're going to play at bigger and better programs where they excel. Um, And then they just didn't add enough personally in recruiting. Between Molson, Reese, Sanks, and Faulkner alone, those four combined averaged between 45 and 55 points per game for them last year. And the only guys you're really bringing back are Malik Johnson, Scott Hitchin, Jelani White, Jordan Henderson, Dante St. Louis, and Sam Routens. Routens didn't really play at all last year. Henderson played sparingly at times. Hitchin and White both aren't really proven, although I thought Hitchin improved overall last year. And Malik Johnson's really your only go-to guy right now. Um, you know, our men Harried and Majesty Brandon both averaged 20-plus points in high school and then Majesty over at his junior college, but... Just expect them to jump right into a starting lineup or come off the bench and average double digits immediately is a little bit absurd, in my opinion. Um, I just don't think Witherspoon's offense is great. Um, It's a lot of standing still and just iso ball. Um, I thought the defense overall isn't terrible, but Canisius doesn't really have that big man down in the post that's going to body you up and turn around. Hitchens more of a stretch center where he can shoot the ball from three. Jelani White can't really shoot three-pointers. He made a few last year, but he isn't really a huge threat offensively. He's more of a defensive guy. And Dante St. Louis really hasn't shown anything. So I think Canisius is really going to struggle this year. And I I think if they can't make a huge jump after the past two years of being the number two seed and not even making a MAC title, um, I thought that's very disappointing. And I think... Although Witherspoon does have good record overall as far as the conference goes since he's been here, at the end of the day, it all comes down to winning a MAC title. They won a share of the regular season title um, two years ago into Call's first year, and then Crumpton Sr. when he won Player of the Year, but they ended up losing in the first round to Quinnipiac, 
And that was a year that they pretty much blew their opportunity to really make a run at the MAC title just because in the beginning sessions, the number one seed rider lost. Niagara, I believe their number five seed lost, and Sienna lost. So the only team they really had to compete with was Iona, who they beat in the regular season. So personally, I just think that it's time for them to move on if they can't get the results this year. Um, I know, like I said, he's got a good record overall in the conference. At the end of the day, it all comes down to winning the MAC title, which Canisius hasn't done in an extremely long time. I believe they actually have the longest drought in the MAC conference overall for basketball. So I think if they don't make a deep run to at least semifinals or a MAC title this year, I think it's time for Witherspoon to go. Now it's time to get in some hockey talk and talk about the Sabres' overall point projections. And then I'm going to go through eight players and their last year point totals and what I think they're going to produce this year, as well as both goaltenders. So overall, last year the Sabres went 33-39-10, overall for a total of 76 points. Um, this year, I think the Sabres are going to be a little bit better. I know they haven't made any huge offseason moves, but I definitely think they have improve their uh, second and third lines overall and add in some nice defensive pieces as well as Elias Allmark going into his second full year at the NHL level. I think it's going to be great. Same with Carter Hutton being on the team for a second full year. So this year I have the Sabres projected to go 37, 33, and 12 for 86 points. So I have them increasing their win total um, by four um, and then adding a few more in the tie column and decreasing their losses by six. So it'll be a 10-point difference overall. Um, I think 86 points put the Sabres right on that bubble between the 7-8 wild card spot and then just being on the outside of the playoffs looking in. Um, I think a lot of Sabres fans definitely want them to be a little bit higher and are expecting playoffs because we've been waiting so long and they have the longest playoff drought. Um and I think that they should be trying to make the playoffs. I mean, that's the goal of any team is to make the playoffs. But I think it's definitely going to be tough this year just because besides that top line, there's still a lot of question marks throughout the lineup. Same on the back end with defensive and goaltending. Although I do think Carter Hutton's going to have a great year, which I'll get into in a minute when I talk about him. But yeah, the Sabres making a 10-point leap overall. So last year, Jack Eichel... 28 goals, 54 assists for 82 points. I think each year Jack progressively keeps making that step. And I think this is the year where Jack really starts to get himself into that conversation as one of the top players, not just in the Eastern Conference, but in the entire NHL. I think some guys are starting to see him coming up as that, but I don't think they've actually seen his full potential yet. So I have Jack having 35 goals and 60 assists for 95 points. Um, Jeff Skinner coming off a 40-goal season along with 23 assists for 63 points. I don't think he's going to quite hit 40 this year. I'm going to have him hitting 38 goals and increasing his assist numbers by 30 or to 35 overall for 73 points, so he's going up by 10 points. Um, the biggest reason for that is because I think that they're going to end up breaking up the line of Skinner, Eichel, and Reinhardt. So I think that's going to allow Skinner to have a little bit more opportunity to give out some more assists, but he's still going to benefit from having Jack and get that high goal total. Um, with Reinhardt last year, he had 22 goals, 43 
assists for 65 points. This year I'm going to have him at 28 goals, 54 assists for 82 points. And the biggest reason, as I just mentioned, I think he could be one that Ralph Kruger moves to that second line. Sam's probably one of the smartest players in the NHL and just knowing where to be in front of the net and knowing where his players are around him. And I think each year he's made that step that he's shown that he can not only be um, a guy on a line that can contribute for others, but he can really carry a full line by himself, which I think with the Sabres, always envisioned he would be when they drafted him second overall, even though that was when Tim Murray was the GM. Um, but I definitely think Sam's going to make a bigger jump, especially in a contract year. I think he's going to want to get paid at the end of the day, and I think the Sabres and him are a mutual interest to bring him back, so I think he's going to have a monster year. Um, Rasmus Dahlin, I think he's on track to have a huge sophomore season. This past season he had nine goals and 35 assists for 44 points. This year, I'm going to have him at 12 goals and 50 assists for 62 points. I think he'll be in that first pair. It'll be unknown who he's playing with yet, whether that's Colin Miller, Brandon Montour. Um, I don't think it'll be Rasmus Wistrelainen, but who knows at this point. He's still on the team. Um, But I have him at 62 points this year, so we'll see if he can make that huge sophomore uh, leap like I think he will. Uh, Casey Middlestat, I think, is the most intriguing guy in the Sabres lineup. I think playing a full season last year really did benefit him, although I still think he needs to put on some weight um, and add a little more finesse to his game. Um, I think he needs to get better as far as passing the puck and also not being afraid to shoot. I think towards the end of last season, he kind of shined away from letting the puck rip towards the net. So last year, he only had 12 goals and 13 assists for 25 points. I expect him to have a bigger year with 23 goals, 28 assists for 51 points. Um, this is going to be his second full season, but third overall year with the NHL. Um, and I think the next time I'm talking about Mark Johansson could really help him if Johansson's playing on his wing. Uh, Johansson was injured last year, so he didn't play as many games, so he only had 13 goals and 17 assists for 30 points. I think this year he's going to be up in the 25 goals and 30 assists for 55 points. Um, He's never gotten above 60 points in his career. Um, it definitely could happen just because he's probably playing a bigger role on the Sabres than he has on any other team. However, I think coming off injury and playing with a young guy like Middlestat um, might hurt as far as the goal totals and assists will go. I don't think he'll get above 60, but I think 55 is a solid number for him. And then Brandon Montour, last year he had 8 goals, 27 assists. For 35 points between his season with the Sabres and the Ducks. This year I'm going to have him at 10 goals, 35 assists for 45 points. Very intrigued to see him with a full year with the Sabres. Looks like um, I think him and Darlene together would be very good just because they both get the puck out of the zone quick and are both offensively minded defensemen who can put the puck in the net. Um, we'll see what Ralph Kruger decides to do there. And then as far as goaltenders go, last year, Carter Hutton played 50 games, started 48, had an 18-25-5 and record, while Allmark played 37 games, 34 starts, with a 15-14-5 record. Um, I don't know why I have this feeling, but I think Carter Hutton's actually going to have a very, very good year. Um, I have him playing 56 games total, starting 52, going 29-17-6. 
and I have Allmark playing 33 total games, 30 starts, going 8, 16, and 6. Um, I don't know why. I just have a bad feeling about Allmark this year. Last year, his final 10 starts, he went 2-8. and eight. Um, I think just the pressure with you know, Uka Pekalukinen kind of being in the shadow down in Rochester more, more than likely this year, and everyone knows that he's pretty much the next up-and-coming guy, um, is kind of going to weigh on him. And I just think Carter Hutton had an underappreciated year last year. I know the record overall didn't show it, but during the beginning of the year when the Sabres were on that streak, Carter Hutton was in the Vezina conversation. He was playing some unreal hockey and net, making timely saves whenever they needed him against big teams. And even throughout the course of the end of the season, I thought Hutton was playing a lot of good games. He just wasn't getting the scoring help that he needed. That was when they were also experimenting, bringing up guys like Olofsson and Nylander. So it was kind of hard to judge that. And then, um, you know, Jack missed a couple games here and there. So it's definitely going to be interesting. And Hunt's also just been around in the league for a while. So I think he's more than likely to have a bounce back the year where Allmark, now that he's had that full first season, he still really hasn't been named the starter overall. So I don't know where his mental side is at. So it'll be interesting to see. I just don't know if he's going to have good year. I'm hoping I'm wrong because I do think at least Allmark could be a starter for the Sabres one day. But right now, I just don't have a good feeling about him going into this season. And now continuing on our last topic with some Sabres talk, uh, we're talking about Jack Eichel and whether or not he's a good captain or not. Um, So we'll start off with the bad with Jack Eichel being a captain overall in his one year. Um, I think the only thing that Jack did last year that was probably considered um, bad was just sometimes the way he handled himself in the media and I think that all also comes with his young age. But there were times last year where I thought the media were asking him some pretty relevant questions. And he either gave a snarky comment back or kind of just blamed the media and said, well, you guys are the reason for this and this. And I just don't think that was the right approach. Obviously, this was a struggle for the season just because they had that long winning stretch and things were looking great. They were first in the NHL and then it kind of all fell off and I don't know if he knew how to handle that um and I think it also hurt that there's always that speculation that the reason they had to trade O'Reilly was because him and Jack didn't get along and I think that could have possibly weighed in on him too although if you would look at any of his social medias he was at the Stanley Cup finals when they won and was taking pictures with O'Reilly so I think that was taken out of context by a lot of media people And I just think because he was so young and inexperienced at being a captain as far as the NHL level goes, I think he took a lot of backlash for a lot of things that he probably couldn't control. Um, I mean, you look at when he comes into the league in 2015, he had Brian Giants as his captain. 2016, Giants was also captain as his last year with the Sabres. But in that season was when Eichel had the uh, ankle injury. So he only ended up playing 61 games. So... I think he didn't really get to focus in on learning that leadership role. And I don't think he fully understood at that time that he was going to be thrust into that role in a few years to come. And I think coming back from that injury, he was more focused on getting his body healthy than anything. And I don't think it helped in 2017. They didn't name a captain. They just went with four alter- alternate captains. And I think for a guy like Jack at that age, I think it would have really benefited him 
from just having a captain and one guy to lean on. I know having multiple guys is also a good thing, but not having that captain can also do stuff to the locker room, which I think was a result of what you saw with the whole O'Reilly situation and Evander Kane and everything that went on. And then Jack was named captain this year. But if you look around the NHL, there's currently six teams that don't have a captain in the Toronto Maple Leafs, the Canucks, Vegas Golden Knights, Detroit Red Wings, Ottawa Senators, and New York Rangers. There's only three captains in the NHL under the age of 25. That's Jack Eichel, Connor McDavid, and Barkov of the Florida Panthers. And then you look at the older group of 33 and older. There's 10 guys between Ovechkin, Bavelski, Wheeler, Justin Williams, Getzlaff, and Charung. The list goes on and on. It's just those guys have been around the league for so long and have been captains. There's even more guys that are turning 33 this year that are 32. And I think just the trend in the NHL right now, I think, is kind of shifting towards younger guys going to be starting to be captain because these guys like Getzlaff and Chara and stuff are going to be on their way out. And if you look at some of those teams that don't have a captain currently, like the Maple Leafs, Golden Knights, Red Wings, Rangers centers, I wouldn't be surprised if some of the younger guys like Austin Matthews, William Carlson, guys like that start to get those captain-type roles. And the Sabres' average age last year on the roster was one of the youngest in the NHL at 26.1. Jack hasn't had a lot of veteran guys around him, especially the past two years, to really show him the ropes. I think there's been so much going on with the locker room and him being in the constant coaching changes between Bilesma, Housley, and now Kruger hasn't helped him at all. And last year, your only other option for captains would have been Zach Bogosian, Kyle Poso, Rasmus Risalainen, and Pominville. Pominville dude was just coming back after he was with the Minnesota Wild. Um, Risalainen, I don't think, has ever really been viewed as a captain-type guy. Poso has underperformed since... He's gotten here as a saber, as good as a locker room guy as he might be. And as good as Bogosian is, as probably a locker room guy, and I think he's probably been the most beneficial for Jack. He isn't healthy enough to always be on the ice. So so I think this past year, Jack took a lot of the blame for things that were not necessarily in his control and that he didn't really get the help he needed in the previous years before that, before he was named captain. And I think Eichel is the only logical captain to be named just because he's going to be on your team for the next eight years. He just signed that long contract. He's the face of the franchise, and it's all learning process. As much as some of the stuff Jack could do better, I do, I do think Jack could be a better leader, and he can handle himself a little bit better with the media, but overall, it's hard to criticize a young kid like that when he's carrying the team like he did last year. Imagine what the Sabres would look like without Jack Eichel. They'd be one of the worst, if not the worst, team in the NHL. Um, you know, the team had a lot of early success, and no one was saying anything about Jack. And then when things went downhill, um, he got a lot of the blame for what was going on in the locker room and that the players weren't buying into Housley, and it all starts with him and whatnot. And I think the biggest reason why um, Jack might have struggled a little bit as captain last year is because they haven't had guys on the team in the past that have really had success besides guys like maybe Pominville and Oposo who have been in the playoffs before 
But now adding guys like Johansson, Colin Miller, even Jimmy VC, who's been on like a more winning organization with the Rangers, um, I think that's going to help in maintaining it throughout the course of the season. I think that Sabres win streak just was so in the moment that once it started going downhill because none of the guys have ever been there before, it really hurt not having a lot of veterans there. As I mentioned, the average age is only 26, one of the youngest in NHL. I think adding guys like Johansson, VC, and Miller, and even guys like Montour and now Darlene going into his second year, and now Jack in his um, fifth year, and Sam in his sixth, I think that's really going to help his team if they start to put games together like they did last year maintain that throughout the course of the season. And it also didn't help that they didn't win when they had um, a loaded team with O'Reilly, Evander Kane, Gianta, Foligno, Reinhardt, Eichel, all those guys together, um, and they just couldn't put wins together. And they actually had two of the worst seasons ever in Sabres history. And I think that really hurt Jack when it started coming to leading last year. So I think Jack's going to continue to get better as a captain overall. Um, I'm not too concerned about it. I do think the Sabres are going to have a better year this year. And I'm excited to see how uh, Jack handles uh, his second year as being a captain of the Buffalo Sabres overall. And that's going to do it for this show, guys. Thank you guys for tuning in. I greatly appreciate it. Next week, we're going to be talking about the best backcourt in the NBA, whether the Blue Jays are the team of the future, MVP and Super Bowl picks, and then way too early Stanley Cup predictions. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in once again, and I hope you guys tune in next week. Thanks again, guys. Thank you.